Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Cody Fajardo restructuring his contract with Saskatchewan. The BC Lions making a massive offer to receiver Kenny Lawler. Brandon Banks and the Hamilton Tiger Cats mutually parting ways. Darius Bowman, what? Coming out of retirement? And legendary talk show host David Letterman. Yes, that David Letterman sporting a Winnipeg Blue Bombers toque. But first, Justin, you reported that the Edmonton Elks and Ottawa Red Blacks are in a bidding war for the services of pending free agent quarterback Jeremiah Masoli. How do you see the situation unfolding once the market officially opens up on February 8th? Ooh, it's going to be the spiciest decision in my mind of CFL free agency 2022. You have Chris Jones in Edmonton looking to hit the ground running, wants to build an ultra-competitive team right away. And let's get it out of the way quickly here. That $100,000 that he gave to Nick Arbuckle was a, quote, contract in the drawer from last year when the Elks signed Arbuckle, said $100,000 doesn't mean anything to him in terms of the investment to Arbuckle. So he's going to come strong to try to get Masoli because he knows what a veteran quarterback can mean for that Elks roster. And on the other side, Ottawa looking to bounce back from the same record that Edmonton had in 2021. Both teams were 3-11. and The Red Blacks feel like if they get Masoli under contract, that can help them recruit other players and compete quickly and try to turn around in that East Division in the upcoming season. So for me, it's going to be all about the money. Now, if it's close, relationships will come into play in my mind. Masoli is comfortable with Sean Burke, the new general manager of the Red Blacks. They did multiple contracts together, and Burke was in Hamilton for the entire time that Masoli was. So I can see the Red Blacks having the advantage there. But if you're Masoli, it's got to be intriguing to at least dissect that opportunity with Jones and Edmonton because he's proven he can build the winner and do it quickly. 
Well, and Masoli does, albeit a long time ago, have some experience in that organization. He broke into the CFL with Edmondson a decade ago before being traded to the Ticats, where he worked his way up from being the PR quarterback to being the most outstanding player in the East Division in 2018. To me, this is a no-brainer, dunk, and I know that the, the Red Blacks want to be prudent. All teams do. But Marcel Desjardins, when that team was founded, went out and paid more than anybody else was willing to for the services of Henry Burris. You have to overpay when you're at the bottom of the heap. And right now, Ottawa is in need of a talent injection in the worst way possible. They need a face of that franchise. They currently don't have one. I think they should absolutely break the bank for Jeremiah Masoli. I'm not saying that they should pay him more than Zach Kolaris is getting in Winnipeg, which reportedly, as you said, is 550. I think that they should be willing to approach that number, though certainly hit the $500,000 mark to get Masoli because saving what, what, what you're, you're talking about 10, $20,000, potentially losing him to Edmonton where he has been before to me, that's not prudent. It does not make sense. You spend the money, you get him to Ottawa. And you mentioned Desjardins signing Henry Burris, doing what it took in terms of the dollar value. Well, there are a lot of people that point to when Trevor Harris left, when Desjardins did not pay up to keep him in terms of the signing bonus or upfront money with the Red Blacks. And then he left to go for Edmonton. And pretty much since then, it's been downhill steeply for Ottawa. So in this situation, I think Burke is going to realize the leadership that Masoli can bring to that franchise as well as they try to get it turned around and also what it could mean to a young developing Caleb Evans. You mentioned the dollar figure. I think it's certainly going to take over $400,000 to sign Masoli and it maybe gets up to that $500,000 range to get him under contract because you have two teams that really want to solidify that position and Masoli can do that for you. A guy who is experienced, proven, has done it on the biggest stage, was literally inches away from leading the Ticats to a comeback victory in the Grey Cup at home with all of those fans anticipating a win. And I wonder how different it would be in terms of the way that Masoli's viewed if you won that Grey Cup. We'd be saying, ah, give him $500,000 plus and be fine with it because he has a Grey Cup ring on his finger. So we got to remember that he's been that close and he was a miracle on Bank Street away in Ottawa there, from taking the Ticats to a Grey Cup. So he's been very close multiple times to getting that trophy. I think he could mean a lot for that franchise in Ottawa as a foundational piece and also for Edmonton. So that's why both teams have been in contact with him. Chris Jones, Paul Apelis have both talked to him. They're trying to recruit him to get him to feel comfortable to go to their franchise. Yeah, I just don't see how Ottawa is not the more desperate team here. Edmonton has other options on the roster. No disrespect to Caleb Evans, but if I'm a Red Blacks fan and they're trotting out Caleb Evans as the face of this rebuild, I'm disappointed. I need more experience. I need more star power to get reinvested in that franchise. So that's just my take. If Hold on, though. If Evans is surrounded by talent, I think he's an intriguing guy. There are lots of people around the league that like him, but that would mean that you would have to spend money at other positions and hope that some of these playmakers get to free agency. So I think that's a way that they could go. But if Ottawa doesn't get Masoli, what is real is the possibility of Trevor Harris coming back to the Red Blacks. In my mind, that would be their plan B. So a lot of people are looking out there and saying, well, if they don't get Masoli, what are they going to do? Well, Harris is still sitting out there and he would want to obviously continue being a starter. So that would be option two, I guess, let's say, 
for Ottawa if Mistoli goes to Edmonton or if they don't feel like paying, you know, you mentioned it, close to $500,000 for Mistoli is worth it. As long as they bring in a veteran quarterback. And I like Caleb Evans, too. I just think he is the number two. He's the heir apparent. He's the, the guy who can give you a different look. And I like Masoli there better than Trevor Harris because I think he's younger and he fits the offense better. He could do more with his legs than Trevor Harris can. So that's that's why I think Ottawa should spend the extra money. I'm not saying give him $750,000 on a house. I'm just saying... <laughs> like, like open the purse strings a little bit here. Marcel Desjardins did it way back in 2014 with Henry Burris. Guess what? They got to a cup in year two, won it in year three. Ottawa, I think, needs that type of injection right now. Cody Fajardo, franchise quarterback of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, has restructured his contract with the team, according to you, as you reported exclusively on Three Down Nation, taking $24,000 less but getting a $170,000 signing bonus in return. Is this a big deal, a little deal, or no deal? It depends what it allows the riders to do to answer that question. But to me, in terms of the contract dollars and what Fajardo will net, it's a little deal. He gets the signing bonus money, which is only taxed at 15% because he is an American, so that will help him out. And then he's able to help the riders out with a little bit of money extra to go around potentially and I would think a lot of Riders fans are hoping that money goes towards signing Duke Williams who <laughs> Fajardo throw to absolutely but for Fajardo he's helping the team out and they're helping him out as well so he was originally scheduled to make five hundred nine thousand dollars in 2022 but there was no offseason money in there and specifically there wasn't going to be a signing bonus if he didn't sign a new contract so that's what helps him out on the tax side. He goes down to 467000 in what they call hard money and then has the opportunity to earn $18,000 over the course of the season, $1,000 per game for playing 51% of the offensive snaps. So that's how the contract breaks down for Fajardo. And I'm sure he had the discussion with Jeremy O'Day and said, okay, how do the numbers work out in terms of tax? And then if I give you this savings, who are you going to go out and get? And please let it be. Mr. Williams. There you go. And and to me, this is this is why the financial side of things is so important. And I'll I'll give Fajardo credit. He didn't have to restructure anything. He could have said, you know what, we agreed to 509, pay me my 509. Now, as you said, with the tax implications, he's not taking substantially less, if anything less. He might end up breaking even regardless. Um, and so it's it's easy to hold hands around the campfire and say, oh, wow, Cody Fajardo is so selfless. He's taking this cut. Oftentimes when players take these cuts, it's not actually less money in their pocket. It's just more more money in the pocket of the teams to spend around him. So I think Fajardo deserves some credit, but without the financial implications of knowing exactly what he's taking and how he's taking it, the news in and of itself doesn't mean much. Now, $24,000 in savings for the riders is that going to be enough to get Duke Williams? I'll tell you what, if I'm Duke Williams, and we're going to talk about this in just a moment, but if I'm seeing that the BC Lions have offered Kenny Lawler $250,000, that is my new price. I'm saying, hey, I don't want Lucky Whitehead's 205 anymore. I want Kenny Lawler's 250. <laughs> so that number, and we don't know yet exactly who the other bidders are. There's rumors that you know Edmondson is interested in a reunion with, with, uh, with Mr. Williams. Of course, Chris Jones there has money to spend. But uh, and, there, and there will be other suitors for Duke Williams, but $24,000, who knows? Maybe that makes or breaks it. But if I'm Williams, that news has my asking price going one direction to one direction only. That is up. It's a great point you make, Hodge. Williams, at a minimum, going into this free agent period, was going to command $200,000 in my mind. And, you know, we talked about a team off the top 
the Red Blacks that can use an infusion of playmakers. I'm sitting there, you know, almost with a blank check trying to get Williams to come to Ottawa to pair him with Masoli or Trevor Harris, potentially. Like, I'm looking at these options and talking to him and trying to recruit him and get him there. And I think in my mind, if I had to pick one right now, I would rather have Duke Williams over Kenny Lawler. Yes, he led the CFL in receiving in 2021, had a spectacular season, was Zach Claros throwing him a football there. They developed a great rapport pretty quickly, too, when Claros got there in 2019. But Williams has proven he can lead the league in receiving in multiple years. In my mind, I think he had the opportunity to do it, although he only did it one time when he was with Edmonton, went down the NFL, proved he could get it done in that style of football as well, and then was one of those rare players that came back mid-season, or this time was actually late in the season, and performed at a high level for the Rough Riders. Like, he would have been a main reason why they could have gotten to the Grey Cup because he provided that explosiveness on offense. So in my mind, it's worth it for a handful of teams around the league to pay up for Williams. The Riders are going to want him because they have that Grey Cup at home, so I believe that's where this savings and money will go to. But Chris Jones loves that kind of receiver. G. Roy Simon does as well, both those guys in the Elks front office. But I think if you're the Red Blacks, you need to check in and at least see if you can get in the bidding. Absolutely. We saw, for instance, Rashid Bailey, who the Red Blacks were rumored to have interest in re-signing with Winnipeg just this morning on Wednesday. So certainly the Red Blacks need an injection of talent. I'm not sure Duke Williams is the guy to fit in Paul Apolise's offense personally, but there's no arguing that he is an absolute star in this league. And I think there's lots of tread on the tire even after his three years down south. Dunkster, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking more about Kenny Lawler's offer from the BC Lions. Dunkster, you reported that the BC Lions and Toronto Argonauts have made monster contract offers to receiver Kenny Lawler and defensive end Jagera Davis, respectively, amid the CFL's legal tampering window. Which potential signing do you see as a better fit for 2022? We got into Lawler a little bit already. And in terms of this question, for me, it's Davis. Because the Argos needed an infusion of pass rush help off the edge. Obviously, Sean Oakman was a beast in the middle, pushing the pocket and affecting the passer. But Davis is a guy... It's also stout against the run. That can't go under the radar. So the fact that the Argos are offering in that $230,000 range to take Davis away from the Tiger Cats is a coup because you're taking it away from the rival down the QEW that you were battling with for that East Division final to get to the Great Cup. So in my mind, Davis is the better fit. And part of that is because the Lions have a lot of weapons on that offense already, or had, I should say. Lucky Whitehead re-signed Brian Burnham. Javon Katoy was a guy they targeted and got back under contract as well, the physically imposing Canadian. They go out and add DeAnthony Thomas, and they knew that deal was done before it actually got announced. So I understand what they're doing, surrounding a young quarterback in Nathan Rourke, the Canadian, God love him, with firepower. (laughs) But you got to protect the guy. So I hope they save some money to bolster the offensive line so that Rourke has time to throw at all these weapons. Yeah, I'd love for the sake of the podcast to disagree with you and tell you why you're wrong, Dunk, but I agree with you 100% (laughs) here. Let's be honest. Charleston Hughes was a bust in Toronto in 2021. They paid him a bunch of money. 
future Hall of Famer, no disrespect, but he wasn't the same guy in 2021 as he has been in the past. Shane Ray, I think, put up one sack, former first-round NFL draft pick. They need help along the edges of that Toronto defensive line. And Ja'Garrett Davis, if you talk, like there are people who will tell you that Ja'Garrett Davis is the best defensive end in the CFL. And that's no disrespect to Willie Jefferson. There's no disrespect to Jackson Jeffcoat, AC Leonard, many of the top guys in the league. Ja'Garrett Davis is just a different guy. And last season, I don't think he had the best front half of the season, but come playoff time, he was a one-man wrecking crew on that postseason run for the Ticats. And as you as you mentioned, the Argos were one of the victims of that postseason run uh, for Ja'Garrett Davis. So I think this is a great signing, uh, potentially, for the Argos, provided it gets done as of next week. Indeed. I see that as essentially happening. The Argos are the front runners right now, by and large, because of that contract offer. But unless the Ticats want to step up to keep them or another team, outside the bidding comes and gets him, then it's possible. But that relationship with Corey Mace, who was in Calgary when Davis first came to the CFL and helped develop him and get him used to playing the Canadian game, certainly has played into this. And Mace knows his ability. So as a first-year defensive coordinator, he wants to go in there with a pass rusher who can affect the game consistently like Davis is a dude that changes the game Davis is a dude that you have to game plan for on offense week in and week out when you're the opposing team so Mace will want to have that and the Argos have some cap money to play with kind of like you got it because they're not going to resign Hughes who they gave a decent deal to in and around the $160,000 range and there's some other guys there that you know, might not be back and might not have those big deals. McLeod Bethel-Thompson, for example, took less to re-sign with the Argos, $400,000 in hard money. Probably could have pressed them for more, but when you're saying, hey, we can get the game-changing pass rusher on the other side, if you take a little less, then it makes some sense for players to be able to do that to help get to that ultimate goal of winning a great cup. Receiver Brian Burnham, linebacker Simone Lawrence, and running back Kadeem Carey all re-signed with their respective teams this past week. Which, in your mind, was the best re-signing of that group? To me, this is an easy answer. It's Simone Lawrence. Simone Lawrence is that guy. He is becoming as important to that franchise as Angelo Mosca. He is a legendary figure there. He gets the job done. He thought that he was robbed of the most outstanding defensive player award. And uh, I mean, he's come close to winning it multiple times. I still think he's going to get one at some point. He's a future Hall of Famer. And that's no disrespect to Brian Burnham. That's no disrespect to Kadeem Carey. I just think if I'm the Lions, I'm shelling out potentially huge money for Kenny Lawler. I've got Lucky Whitehead, who is a legit MOP candidate in 2021. You've got Javon Katoy back. I don't think that Burnham's going to play as large of a role in that BC offense. And then Kadeem Carey, you know, great player. But an American running back in the CFL is always going to have limited value, especially if you're running behind a great offensive line. So to me, this pick is easy. It's Simone Lawrence. I know that he's a little bit older, but that said, I still think he's playing at the very top of his game. And with Brandon Banks stepping out of that organization, we'll talk more about that in a moment. I think that his leadership, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, is going to be invaluable for that club as they look to get over the hump and end that long Grey Cup drought in 2022. Lawrence is the face of the Tiger Cats franchise, and that's with all due respect to Dane Evans. But Lawrence has been there. You know, it's getting close to a decade now. So in my mind, to get him re-signed was an absolute must. And he really helps 
that culture behind the scenes with Orlando Steinauer and shows the guys, hey, just come in here and be yourselves and you'll be respected. It's not a situation where it's a dictatorship and certain coaches throughout the league have been known to do that. And even one of them who had used to been in Hamilton, Ken Austin, you had to abide by his rules and they were very strict in terms of how he wanted players to be. Lawrence, you know, fit that in some form or fashion, but he was on the defensive side of the ball. He wasn't on offense with Austin. So in my mind, it's a true reflection of if we bring you in here, we want you to be yourself because Lawrence is a smiley, energetic (laughs) dude, at least when we see from the outside and has so much energy that he infuses into that team. Burnham plays at an all-star caliber level. Carey, one of the elite running backs in the league. You could argue that he's right there, if not the 1B to William Stanbeck, who is widely viewed as the best running back in the league playing for Montreal. Had a productive season, got a contract bump, but it's Lawrence. You're right. He's on that Angelo Mosca track to play his entire season, or sorry, his entire career with the Tiger Cats and be an absolute legend with the franchise. And you mentioned it a little bit, but they showed, the Ticats did, that they're not necessarily just going to re-sign Lawrence if he's not playing up to a legit level because of what they did with Banks. So that reflection in and of itself shows, hey, you can come in and be yourself, but you still need to play at a high level regardless of your age, and that's not necessarily going to get you a contract just because you've been here for a bunch of years before. Dougster, you mentioned Brandon Banks. Let's talk more about that. The Ticats and Banks mutually parted ways this past week. I want to know your thoughts. Does that decision make sense for both sides? It does for the Ticats, but let's get that mutually agreed to (laughs) phrase out of there because that's the way the Ticats wanted it to come out. And obviously, Banks agreed because you want to leave the organization on good terms. But Banks had said in December, Hodge, that he wanted to spend his entire career in black and gold. Like there was no other team that he wanted to play with. So if Banks had his choice, he would be playing for Hamilton. Let's not get it twisted. And he was willing to take less on his contract to be able to do so. He said flat out that he didn't want to be among the highest paid receivers in the league anymore. Now, his production in 2021 would not have warranted that anyway. But in my mind, It was surprising to see that decision because I got the sense that Banks would take substantially less to come back there for another shot, potentially to win a great cup with Hamilton. He's been in a handful of them with the Tiger Cats, and they haven't been able to get to the point where they're hosting, hoisting, excuse me, that trophy. That said, there are teams out there interested in Banks and trying to gauge the market and what they might be able to to get him for you would think naturally that Jeremiah Masoli, if he went to Ottawa or maybe even Edmonton would want to have banks along with him because they have such a deep rooted connection from all the years they spent together in Hamilton, but make no mistake. The 2019 CFL MLP is a wanted man in free agency. Yeah. And and I think the interesting thing with banks is this isn't like a franchise left tackle where, you know, he's in or he's out. Someone as versatile as Brandon Banks, who can do as many things as he can at wideout in the slot as, you know, a a true downfield receiver as a quick hit kind of guy, make a play after the catch or even as a returner. Right. He, He was a legendary returner 
punts, kickoffs, etc. Before he was a star receiver in this league, you know, to me, at least from my experience, my lifetime in this league, there have only been two guys with that true skill set that I can remember watching. That was Chad Owens first, and then Brandon Banks did it second. Uh, so to me, the the positive with Brandon Banks is you don't have to ask him to be 2019 Brandon Banks and own the CFL in 2022. You can just ask him at the age of 34 to say, hey, let's get you in the mix as a returner here and there. We'll build some plays around you. But you don't have to be that feature guy, which does, as you said, with the financials, make it possible to bring him back on a cheaper deal, ask him to play somewhat less of a role on that team offensively as well as on special teams. I was also a bit surprised that didn't get done. But I do expect that we'll see Brandon Banks in the CFL in 2022. I was a little surprised Surprised again. He wasn't back with Hamilton, but I'm curious to see what other teams think of him across the league because, as you mentioned, there is some interest, and I think he can do lots of different things even at his age. Well said, Hodge. I like that idea. And if you're the Red Blacks, you fit in well there. They just lost Devontae Dedman to the Miami Dolphins, who was, of course, the league's most outstanding special teams player. So he could return kicks for you with Bob Dice, who always has great special teams units and help bring along some of those younger receivers that they do like in Ottawa and also make plays for you on offense, especially if you get a guy like Masoli. The Edmonton Elks reached back in time, way back, some people would say, <laughs> this past week, signing receivers Darius Bowman and Manny Arsenault to contracts. Do you believe the aging veterans can actually still be effective in the CFL? I, I hate to say this, and I want to preface this by saying that I have a ton of respect for what Adarius Bowman and Manny Arsenault have done in this league. You can make a solid case that both of them should be in the Hall of Fame. But, Dunkster, when I got this press release, I thought it was April Fool's Day, and I had to refresh two or three times to make sure it was legit. And I know I wasn't the only one. There was all over social media people saying similar things. I would maybe, look, if one of these guys was coming off an injury or one of these guys, like, Maybe there'd be some optimism and I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But that said, we all remember watching a Darius Bowman with Winnipeg and Montreal in 2018. He looked done. That was three, four years ago. And Manny Arsenal was the same thing in 2019 with Saskatchewan. He looked done. And so both of these guys to me have already had a swan song. And that is after, or that's before the canceled 2020 season and before the 2021 shortened CFL season. So I don't see how these guys, whose combined age, by the way, is 70, I don't see how they're going to be effective for this team in 2022. I get the intangibles. I get the leadership. I get all of that. And it's a feel-good story. It makes me happy that Darius Bowman and Manny Arsenault are back in this league. I just don't know how they're going to be productive on the field. I really don't. To me, there's two sides to this. The first being Chris Jones wanting to get his name out there even more. And Hodge, we've noticed this. He's been on every single media call with players that have been re-signed. James Wilder Jr., the latest. So it makes sense, right? Jones wants to show he's out in front and is with his players. And in that regard for these signings, he believes that Bowman and Arsenal can come in at least just to training camp and provide leadership. Whether or not they make the roster is an entirely different question coming out of camp and going into the regular season. Both Bowman and Arsenal are on the books right now for $65,000 base minimum contracts. I believe they have $10,000 additionally available in housing money that they could get. So they didn't give any upfront money. It's guys that can come to camp and potentially provide leadership. The flip side and the other side that a lot of personnel men are talking about are saying that's two guys 
young potential dudes that could be coming into camp for you and developing and being your future. Because we know, know. with all due respect, Bowman and Arsenal aren't going to be those dudes, right? They're not going to be the future. They might not even be the present. I think they're just the past. That's the problem. And you, you mentioned it. There is a limited number of spots in camp. We still don't know what the camp number is going to be in May, but we know that in 2021, they reduced numbers out of concern due to COVID. So yeah, those training camp spots matter. And yes, the team could cut either player, no problem ahead of training camp, but then why waste everybody's time? Uh, And if you covet, and here's the other thing, if you covet their leadership, hire them on as a coach. We know that Adarius Bowman had already made the transition to coaching. I think he'd be a great coach. Bring him in in that role. You get the leadership, you get the name recognition. And he was also, and we want to highlight this as well, very involved in that community at Edmonton, which is wonderful. You know, it's, it's spectacular when players donate their time and connect with people in those local communities. So it makes me happy to see Bowman back at Edmonton. I just don't know if it should be as a slot back. That's, that's just my take. And, uh, and bang on about the training camp bodies because getting guys in, especially two of these aging vets, to me, is taking up meaningful and useful roster space. We got to take- find two gems that Chris Jones is used to <laughs> finding, right? Like just before we get to the break here, I think this Absolutely. is worth a little bit more of a conversation because as two young guys and Jones likes to bring in those younger, bigger, physical, athletic types at various positions and sometimes even moves them around. So exactly. you're getting at something there in terms of Bowman potentially being coach, but the issue with Edmonton is the coach's cap, right? They fired Brock Sunderland. They fired Jamie Elizondo, who'd still had years left on their contracts. So that football operations cap, I should say, is hindering them from potentially making that move if they wanted to. I get that. I get that. Um, but to me, I, putting money against the salary cap instead of the coach's cap, like to me, that's just shuffling. That's just shuffling deck chairs. So my, my take. Anyways, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2020, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers 31-20 to win Super Bowl 54. The McGill product, Dr. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, started the game at right guard, winning his first NFL championship. Six months later, the medical doctor announced that he was opting out of the 2020 NFL season to help fight the COVID-19 pandemic. He returned to the field in 2021, but requested a trade seeking more playing time, at which point he was shipped to the New York Jets. The Quebec native is set to become an unrestricted free agent later this year in mid-March. Dunkster, I think Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is a hero. I will find any excuse to celebrate him on this podcast or our website. Indeed, man. What a time that was for him, right? He goes from being a Super Bowl champion to helping on the front lines battle against the coronavirus like an unbelievable story and the guy is from our country i'm with you we should celebrate him as much as humanly possible because he's a great role model for young children in our country and just an overall awesome dude so we'll see if his football career continues he's talked about some of the things he needs to do in terms of furthering his career as a doctor and what he has to do from a school perspective that he might not be able to put that on hold anymore, but in an ideal world, he can continue that. Hopefully they make some 
amendment and allow him to continue playing in the NFL if he would like to do so <laughs> while he can get all the paperwork and do all the things he needs to do to become an official doctor. And if you want to become an official doctor, no, I'm just kidding, but still take your car to Jiffy Lube. You won't become a medical doctor, but they'll get your car winterized, ready to go. Hey, they are essentially the car doctors. That's a good point. They'll get you ready to roll, get your ride feeling, looking great on the road, well taken care of, especially in these harsh winter conditions. Yes, sir. Haji, you know, it's getting cold out west, my man. I'm in Edmonton right now, and you never know what the weather can be like or if your car is going to start up. So take it to Jiffy. Make sure you got your fluids topped up, especially that oil in the winter, and they'll keep your ride humming even when it's cold. On that note, it's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. Legendary talk show host David Letterman wore a Winnipeg Blue Bombers toque while signing autographs in New York City. Did you know he was such a big CFL fan? I had no idea, but I want the story of how Letterman got his hands on that tube, my man. Maybe that'll be a three-down exclusive. Exactly. Reigning CFL Most Outstanding Special Teams player Devontae Dedman has signed with the Dolphins. Will he be successful in Miami? Well, Samuel Guavin has had a great career down there, making the jump from the CFL to the NFL. I think Dedman could absolutely do the same. Stelco reportedly paid $20 million for a 40% share of the Hamilton Sports Group, whose primary property is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. What does that say about the value of CFL teams? Uh, it says a lot about the Tiger Cats value, and I'm not sure that it necessarily goes league-wide because I think when the Alouettes were purchased, there was some debt there to deal with. We all know the Argos lose. You know, millions of dollars every season. So I think it's a boon for Bob Young, who's still the primary shareholder in that new HSG group. But in my mind, this is just the tie cats in the back. You can't extrapolate to that to other franchises in the CFL. There's a reason in my mind we didn't hear the purchase price, for example, when Gary Stern bought the Alouettes or when Demar Doman purchased the BC Lions because it was for low. Milt Stiegel joked about coming out of retirement taking inspiration from the signings of Bowman and Arsenal in Edmonton. Do you think the Turtle Man could still produce in the CFL? I think that Milt Siegel could absolutely still produce in the CFL, provided, of course, he was able to get out of the sideline after every single catch. Sir Vincent Rogers signed a one-day contract to retire as a member of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Will you miss watching him play? Yeah, he was dominant in his day, man. And I think what Rogers' retirement sort of speaks to here is a lack of franchise offensive tackles in the league. Like, we need okay. more dudes protecting these franchise quarterbacks. So it's sad that Rogers can't play at that level anymore. We need more of them to come along to protect that blind side. The Riders signed kicker Brett Lather to a two-year contract extension. Is that a smart move to get the Canadian under terms through 2023? Absolutely. If the 2021 CFL season showed us anything, it's that Canadian kickers are at a premium because, frankly, even the American kickers in 2021 were not always at their best. The Ticats signed running back Don Jackson to a two-year contract extension. How key is that for Hamilton's offensive attack? It is super key, man. Action Jackson infused energy into that Ticats offense and arguably the entire team when he was made the starter there. With all respect to Sean Thomas Erlington, Jackson is a dude that really gave that offense a completely different feel. 
The St. Peters re-signed linebacker Jameer Thurman. What are your expectations for him in 2022 after flying under the radar a little bit with Calgary in 2021? Yeah, Ben Sankey in the middle was the one who was gobbling up all the tackles there, leading the league. Darnell Sankey, Ben Sankey's what? Old oh, time sorry, retired retired NFL running back. Uh, my apologies. My apologies. Darnell Sankey was chewing up all the tackles. I, I, I've, I've made that mistake several times, by the way. Uh, <laughs> chewing up all the tackles in Calgary. Uh, Jameer Thurman flies under the radar, but hey, football people will tell you how important he is to that defense in Cowtown. The Edmonton Elks signed former Ohio State star quarterback JT Barrett after adding him to their negotiation list in 2014. That's right, Dunkster. Eight years later, they get their man. Will he make an impact with the Elks in 2022? I could see it, but it'll be in a package form in my mind unless he really takes off later in the year. This is a typical quarterback that Jones likes to get. A college star who's a proven winner at the high school level and in the NCAA, won a national championship in 2015, I believe it was, with the Buckeyes, led OSU to that title. And, you know, had some looks in the NFL. It didn't pan out. The craziest part of this, though, is our boy J.C. Abbott laid this out. I don't think I have all the details right, but the Jones actually put him on that neck list in 2014. And Jones went from, what was it, winning a cup with Edmonton in 2015 to being Mr. Everything in Saskatchewan, nearly getting to a Grey Cup, going to Cleveland, having a stint with the Browns, then going back to his hometown high school in (laughs) South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, getting a job with the Argos, leaving those high school kids wondering where the heck he went, but he went up north of the 49th parallel to Toronto. (laughs) And then now he's back in Edmonton as the GM and the head coach to be able to sign him. How many days was it, huh? Oh, it was like 2,200 and something. I got it on my Twitter, but yeah, it, it was a tremendous amount. And yes, Ed Herbie was the GM during their first stint in Edmonton, but I mean, we all know that, that Chris Jones has always been involved in personnel. Last one, nine-year CFL veteran Ed Ganey tweeted that he's not with the Riders anymore following five seasons with the team. Is that a surprise? It's not in a way because the man we just talked about, Mr. Jones, has an affinity for Ganey, loved him during his time in Saskatchewan. Now, I do think that Ganey might have wanted to stay in Saskatchewan, and he's got a bond with Jason Shivers, the defensive coordinator there. But if I had to guess, Ganey's either not playing or he's in Edmonton. I could definitely see that. We got to wrap this up. Thank you, as always, folks, for listening to the Three Down Nation podcast. We'll see you next week, probably Wednesday, but we might have to play it by ear. It depends how hard the free agent circus is spinning. We'll see how it goes. He's Justin Dunk. I'm John Hodge. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 